Hey, man, and welcome to the Badam Chain with Carl. Howdy, my brownies, and welcome on back to the Badam Chain with Carl, man. That's me, Carlito, CR3. You heard about him. There he is, right here in your living room, or in your car, or in your I was it I earbuds <laughs> in your eye buds. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, in your Walkman, so to speak. Thanks for listening, man. Appreciate it. This is episode fifty-one, and uh, I'm still Carl. Man, uh, it's fall, you know, again, and leaves are starting to change here in Nashville. It's pretty cool. Uh, I tell you what, I do, man. I love listening to jazz in the fall. I don't know why. I've done it for a long time, uh, since I was in college. And, uh, it's just a, a, a cool thing to do, I think. Uh, if you don't believe me, look up this record, uh, Ballads by John Coltrane. Okay. Play John Coltrane ballads on a nice day like today. And then you'll see where I'm coming from. Okay. There's a plug for you. What else do I do? Uh, I don't know if other people do this, but I find myself trying to eat better in the wintertime. Uh, I don't know why, you know, because it's a stupid time to do it, I guess. Maybe that's why. You know, you got Thanksgiving and Christmas and, I don't know, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and New Year's. and You know, it's just all these festive things. Somehow I, I try, <laughs> I decide this is the best time to try to eat healthy. So I'm trying to do that. We'll see how that goes. Um, another thing I'm trying to do uh, in my new place, I got a new coffee grinder. I got a new like French press. So I'm trying to find like the appropriate amount of scoops of coffee to ounces in a French press. Uh, that's my main goal uh, when I'm not doing stand up or working. <laughs> and I think I may have uh, I may have come close. I'm. I just sipped uh, this cup, and I'm getting there. So, can't tell you the magic number yet till I get it. But uh, again, I'll keep you posted on that uh, riveting news from OCR3. So there you go. Comedy wise, I'm uh, still booking shows. Man, I found myself booking uh, three of my shows that I co-host and and put on myself. And I was like, yesterday, I was like, oh, I have to find 15 comics. Uh, here we go. So. That's always fun, actually, man. Like, just to cultivate a lineup. If you've never done it, uh, comics out there has never put on a show. I, I encourage anybody to do it because it's just fun to, to play around with lineups and see, uh, you know, who fits together, who could fit together. And it's, it's a neat little, it's science, basically. You know, it's science. So we'll just leave that up there to, uh, to the scientists. I don't know how it works, but it's, it's fun to do. All right. All right. Is that, is that enough of an intro? I feel like I, that was a long time. That was like three and a half minutes. So you guys ready for, uh, you guys ready for your next guest? Huh? Well, you should be. This is episode 51. And today's guest, this week's guest is David Chastine, man. Young David Chastine. Man, I love David, man. Like Dave, David, uh, I remember seeing him. 
he works at Zany's, and I remember when he worked at the fl- on the floor. Uh, every time I would come in, he would make sure that like I was taken care of. You know what I mean? And like he would tell the other people that worked at Zany's if they didn't know who I was. He's like, "You don't know who this man is? This is CR 3 <laughs> He always made me feel much more important than uh than he should have, and that I actually am. But I always appreciate about that about David. And uh, on top of that, yeah, he does stand up. And man, I'll tell you what, he's been coming out more and more lately. And uh, he's starting to blossom up, dude. And uh, I felt it was the right time to get him on the Badum Ching. And uh, man, what follows is a, I don't know what kind of conversation this was. It kind of went all over the place, but we rolled with it, man. I think you'll really enjoy it. Oh, also as a bonus, uh, we also made David an honorary Grey Grey. Uh, if you know that band, the number one comedy band in Nashville with me and Sean Parrott. So he's been filling in with me, for me, uh, on them drums, and I appreciate you, David. So guys, I think you'll like it, so check it out, because, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, David Chastain. Uh, somebody told me I look like all the characters from the movie Stand By Me put together. <laughs> yeah, that's fun for everybody except me. <laughs> I might be the only comedian in the world that roots against their first joke. To bomb. That's what I want. I would love nothing more than to wake up one day and I just don't look like that. If I had one wish in the world, it would be to grow a beard, I think. I mean, people told me I could buy beard plugs with millions of dollars. I don't want to take the risk. I just want the beard. That's all I want. All right, that's a new tag for that one. Um, I'm newly single, everybody. Give it up for me. Give it up for me, everybody. I'm newly single. Hopefully some of you are into that. Um, <laughs> no, I was dating this girl for a while and uh, she was allergic to almonds. She's still alive. I don't want to alarm you guys. She's still making it, but that's not the, what we're doing. Uh, but it is a weird food allergy, I think. Like almonds. She's not allergic to peanuts or all nuts. It's just almonds. It's weird. I'll tell you what she was not allergic to, though, is uh, all men's dicks, because that's why we're not together anymore. <laughs> so I'm allergic to one kind of nut, and it's not... You know what it's not. We know what it isn't. <laughs> it's calm. All right. <laughs> I wanted for a little while after we broke up to like walk around with a little crushed up bag of almond dust in my pocket, you know? I see her in a bar and I fucking dump that shit out of my hand. Let's <laughs> take her out for real this time. All right. <laughs> What's up, David? What's up, dude? How are you? Carl? I'm good, buddy. It's cool. It's fun to go from talking like we already were introduced and now we'll just go to like, we just started a conversation. It's fun. Yeah. Like that. Well, we didn't talk too much before. No, I don't not think. too much. Just enough for you to get comfortable you already look pretty comfortable yeah like what if you let you just let me in and send me don't say a word to me and it's like until we start the podcast you're just like let's just save it all for the let's not waste anything i hope to get that pompous one day dude yeah. you know what i mean like shh, you know like just you have to uh sign a waiver before him like you will guarantee not to speak yeah. with me uh two days before the podcast. The content becomes important you know it's yeah. like I, we have to save everything to put it all online to make yeah. money i think that that's really important yeah well you look comfortable i don't think I'm, I maybe look more comfortable than you right now, but you're you're in second place of the most comfortable. I mean, I feel comfortable. I'm wearing jeans. This is what I wear to work. But uh, I mean, you're literally. I'm wearing jeans. I'm wearing what I would wear on stage, essentially. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. Like I, I don't normally wear a hat if I'm doing like a club show. Mm. But you're wearing a fleece robe and like a superhero pajama pants and like a graphic t-shirt. Another oh, creep show. Yeah, the uh, creep yeah, show. I didn't get a good look at yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's good. But yeah, and then you just you look like the like a. 
you make the Big Lebowski look lazier. Because <laughs> his is it's like a movie, but you have like graphic. You're like a horror. What is this, a horror movie on your T-shirt? What is it? Oh, no, it's a, a metal band. A metal band? Remember Green Jello from the 90s? I don't remember Green Jello. Okay. This they is got, the Pigs, the Three Little Pigs. Yeah, the Three Little Pigs. an album? Yeah, uh, it was an album called Serial Killer. Okay. And, their, and their hit was Three Little Pigs. It was a, like a farce band. You know what I mean? Like they were a gimmick band. But I think yeah. Maynard from Tool was a affiliated with them. Associated, or, not didn't sing or was... Or maybe the guitar player. Somebody yeah. in Tool was in this band. So you're wearing Creep Show, Pants, <laughs> Serial Killer, Green Jello t-shirt, yeah. Fleece Gray Robe. Yeah. I love it. I mean, if this is a close second to how comfortable you are, I hope well, you, I, you, you must that, not be that comfortable. You got like that... <laughs> You got like that that stoner night stalker vibe though. I like this. It's all stoner black. night stalker. I just wear black. You know me at this point. You know I wear black constantly. That's like all I wear. Like I like that on uh, when I started doing audio engineering. Mm-hmm. That was like black is like the color that you wear because you like it get down on the ground. Just that's just what I felt natural. Yeah, I always sense. wear black, but it's like logoless black clothes. You like blend in or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like. When I started doing comedy, like Louis C.K. wears black. He kind of just wears black on stage. So I kind of like, I didn't do it because anyone else does it, but I just kind of, zanies, I get to wear all black. That's where I have worked for a while. And I'm in normal wardrobe. So that's just kind of me, dude. No, I get it, I like black. Black is a good color for me. Black glasses, black. I just do it all. Yeah, it's good. Just a comfortable blacked out fucking, I feel like this is how my granddad sits in his he sits back Man, like this with his arms crossed. My my grand my grandpa would used to sit with his uh, uh finger right here, like mm-hmm. like his thumb under his chin and one finger right here on the on the cheek. And I find myself sitting like that all the time. Yeah. My like, granddad Is that I genetic do, or is that just like I don't know in the subconscious? Maybe you see him and you're like, That guy's cool <laughs> and it's just how you wanna cause I do like I'll bounce my leg like this, that's and sit back mm-hmm. like this. I just had like a out of body like if i could look at myself right now yeah. like i remember i saw my granddad one time he was in my veterans day program at school and he was sitting just like this and mm-hmm. every time they would announce the veterans and stuff everybody would clap and he didn't move for a second he didn't clap for any veterans <laughs> i remember that the whole like they announced like all these veterans and all their accomplishments and like some pretty accomplished people and he didn't fucking move from this right here mm. this is exactly what he did he a veteran himself no respect. That's a, true, that's, a, that's, a true, that's a true vet, though. You yeah, know dude. what I mean? He was like, yeah, we, I, we, we all did it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I need to clap for you. I was there, too. Was your grandfather in the military? Like, no. probably most old guys? No, but he was a uh, he was a cop. Yeah. Oh, he served. He served locally. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Where was he a cop He was like at? sheriff, though. You know oh, really? I mean? uh, like this small town in Arkansas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is he that was... where you're from? Do you from Arkansas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Hopping a skip, man. It's about four hours away. I've never been to that part of the country at all. I've hardly ever traveled at all, so it's not saying much. But well, if you just take Interstate Forty and just keep going, you'll hit it. Okay. You actually cross my uh, hometown on the way to Little Rock. Really? Mm-hmm. What's it called? Forest City, Arkansas. Forest City. It was either Sheriff. But we always said Forest City. You know what I mean? Forest City. That's Southern. Just quick. Yeah, Four City. You know, I used to think as a kid it was like the number four, like Four, four City. Four City. Yeah, number yeah. four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got L.A. New York, Chicago. <laughs> That's the four cities. cities. <laughs> uh, now he was a sheriff, uh, like in different towns around there, okay. around that area. Just yeah. skipped around. He was like, "I'll sheriff over here a little <laughs> I'll bit. Sheriff I'll sheriff over, here, over here a little bit." He was rogue, man. Like yeah, uh, apparently, he was always just like pretty uh, intimidating fella, even as a kid. And he was like, wasn't even the oldest uh, sibling. And like his older brothers and stuff, always looked to him to like take care of him. He was just like a hardcore. He's like a white, literally white herb. Yeah, he was like a cowboy. Yeah. I think. You know Holy I mean? shit! Yeah, it's crazy. There's a a picture 
floating around to him like sometime in the in the fifties, and he owns a uh, gas station at the time, and the family's living in the back of it, kind of like a little mom and pop convenience store. Also, and I think he was just starting. <laughs> I think he had just started also like becoming a cop too because in the picture is him in front of his gas station with a holster with so a like, gun. i would just hope that he's being a cop that he's just being this is in arkansas yeah i mean maybe he's just open carrying guns and this is carl senior by the way you know? carl senior yeah. carl one carl one cr1 yeah and he's oh like oh my god he's like this crazy like clint eastwood you know it's like hardcore <laughs> yeah dude well that never surprises me i'm sure some people if they see a guy open carrying that freaks him out but where I'm from, like, I'm from a smaller kind sure. of town in Kentucky. I was also the 50s. But I think he was already, like, starting to be, like, deputy or something like that. Okay. I mean, I don't – dude, there was a – I used to work in the grocery <laughs> store. There was a guy that wore cut-off jean shorts, like, real high cut-off jean shorts and a tank top. And he had, like, a holster around his waist with two just, like, 44 Magnums. <laughs> and he would come up and, like – Because one's not enough. And he know? would – with his hands on his waist, kind of like Forrest Gump, he oh, would yeah. stand and look at the lobster tank in the meat department. With – and he just got two forty fours, and he's just standing in cut off high, like black jean shorts, cut offs too. And I'm like, who is this fucking guy? Where is this at? This is in Richmond, Kentucky. Okay, that's where Eastern Kentucky University is. Mm. It's not like that country or rural or small of a place, even. But you get everything there. Like you get like the crazy small town, like it, especially at a grocery store. Like people come from like out of town where there's not a grocery store out in the fucking woods oh, and yeah. shit yeah. and they'll come shop and they just got their fucking two hand cannons. Like that guy couldn't shoot one of those guns if he tried. I oh, don't yeah. think. One of them would just, you just know. just go fucking flying yeah. gun, just fly out of his like hand. Like the movies. He would, he would just like skate yeah. across the room after he shot it. But I would just like be behind the meat department. I worked, I was a butcher at this grocery store when I was 19 and I would just look over and the guy's fucking two guns just Lobster tank, dude, just chilling, checking it out. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so when I see people with guns, it kind of doesn't surprise. It doesn't shock me. Mm. I think there are a lot of people when they see, like, guns out in public, they'd be like, it'd freak them out. But I'm kind of just like. You know, other than, like. Lobster tank, you know. You know, police and stuff like that. I really don't see that much, you know, anymore. Not like, here. I guess because that's all, like, concealed carry. Everybody's just well, I think not it, exposing it or something. I don't know if it's like this in, uh. Tennessee, but in Kentucky, you can conceal carry with no license. Mm. Like you, it wasn't always like that, but for like several years now, it's like you don't have to take a test. You don't have to do That's anything. That's how it is here now. I think. Is it? Did they do that here? Yeah, I think they. Just yeah, you can just that. buy a gun, dude. I I went to go buy a gun a little bit before COVID. I was thinking about buying a gun, mm-hmm. and they told me the guy was like fucking Israeli that owns this gun store, and I was just asking about the rules. I was like. What's the deal? I got to get like on a wait list to get this gun. And he's like, nah, bro, you can have this gun in like 20 minutes from now. You're walking out of here with this gun. And I was like, well, what do I do with it? Like, can I like, he, like, what do I do? I have to conceal. Like, what, what are the rules? He was like, man, you can hang this thing from the rear view mirror of your car and drive around if you want. He's like, this shit is yours. You don't have to hide it from anybody. It was like open. If it's out in the open, that's when it's cool. He's like, if you hide it from that's when it. So he was just kind of like, he sort of was like, you can hang this from the rearview mirror and drive around your. He's like, your car is like an extension of your house. Yeah, all the shit. I was like, this is fucking crazy. Gun rules are not, not enough. <laughs> I remember I went to the gun range because I was like, I did a lot of research. I, I shot a shotgun. My uncle would we shoot clay pigeons when I was a kid, mm-hmm. just a little bit, but. I wanted to like learn about handguns, so I did a lot of research. I was going to buy a nine millimeter Smith and Wesson M and P. Okay. That was what yeah, I was yeah. thinking I, I, about getting. When I was researching handguns, I it's like a standard issue, yeah. like nine millimeter, like what 
police would get or just like it's small and it's safe and it's reliable. You mm-hmm. know, that's what I found online. So I was like, I should go shoot this thing at a range. I found a Nashville. I, I don't know if I should say I got a Nashville Armory is where I went here sure. in town. There you go. And uh, it wasn't it ended up being good. <laughs> that's uh, what I'm saying. I don't know if I'm going to shout oh, it out. Never mind. It was fine. <laughs> I mean, but there's a lot of freedom going on there. I'll tell you that much. Oh, but yeah. I went in there and I knew what I wanted. So I told the guy, I was like, hey, I've never been to a gun range before, but I want the Smith & Wesson. That's what I'm trying to rent. I knew the rates. I knew what the rates were for the ammo. So I asked what, for what ammo I wanted. I was like, ready. Mm-hmm. So I guess that tricked the guy into like forgetting that I told him I didn't know anything about guns or anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they just gave me a plastic tote with the gun and the ammo and just set me loose in the range. And you're like, also, I had no training. See you later. Yeah. So I was just like, <laughs> but I was kind of nervous to say anything again. I was like, oh, I guess I just go in there. So I went in there. And I remember the guy made me get hearing protection. And right before I walk, I walk in and right when I open the door, there's like some teenagers with a fucking automatic shotgun <laughs> and they're about to start shooting it. And I got my hand, my earmuffs in my fucking hand, oh, not on my ears. Great. These kids are about to start blasting indoor yeah. range with the shotgun. So I was like, foam. I like threw the fucking gun down on the ground. <laughs> And like throw my headphones on. That's what you should do. Yeah, and I like throw, I like sling the toe with the gun in it, and so then I uh, put the headphones on. But then I go, I loaded the fucking magazine backwards and tried to get it in. The, some guy luckily saw me and came up and was like, "Yo, what's going?" I was like, "I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You guys just let me in here." <laughs> and I'm like shooting the gun back, like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm going to kill somebody. And then he showed me what to do, but it was like nerve wracking as yeah. fuck. There was a kid in there shooting like automatic weapons, mm-hmm. like a couple kids, like 18 year old kids in Supreme, like street wear. And I'm like trying to learn about it. So I didn't buy a gun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but Kind of got turned off from the experience. Yeah. But like, it was just like, they let you do whatever. Nobody's checking up on you, dude. Mm-hmm. They were just like, here's the gun. Here's the ammo. You can shoot it. We're not going to teach you anything. Like it was too free. I'm all for freedom, <laughs> but it's just like, I need some teaching. Like I yeah. need a, maybe that's on me. Maybe I should have been like, you know, take a firearm course. But mm, now, now I'm thinking maybe I should edit out where you said you're fine. Natural. <laughs> yeah, there's some guy hears it and he's like, "Look, they were great. It's great staff, very friendly, but too too much freedom. They gave me too much freedom in that place with the guns." <laughs> you know, I wanted uh, when I was researching uh, handguns. I, I always wanted a revolver. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just I like the class of it. There's only six shots you know five or six i think there's you know there's less mechanics to it so you don't really get uh misfires and stuff like that yeah and really my thinking is if ever (laughs) you needed to use it if you can get your target in six shots then you don't deserve to yeah seven or eight or whatever (laughs) whatever there's yeah I don't know. I always thought my roommate is huge into guns and he's got several firearms Mm. so he keeps us safe sure (laughs) i'm like i'm like i feel safe with him there but I thought about getting just like a twenty-two, you know? Yeah, just for fun, you know? Or not even for fun. I don't want to use it for fun, but just like it's something I could fire without being like scared of it. Because I shot that 9 millimeter. It's like a bomb going off in your hands. Mm. I mean, maybe that's just because I was indoors. But if I need a firearm for self-defense, more than likely going to be indoors yeah. without my hearing protection. Right. You know? So like – I thought about just this fucking thing. It's like a bomb going off and shooting this projectile across space. Like that's what is <laughs> happening. You pull this little fucking trigger and it sets off this whole thing. So I was like, oh, the 22, it's just kind of almost like there's not much recoil, not much pop to the combustion of that, you know, whatever yeah. fires the ammo. So, but it's not going to like kill a guy. That's what people tell you. But I'm like, I'm not all about killing a guy. No. I'm, I'm kind of about firing a gun at a person and then being scared if that's what has to happen. <laughs> First step, having a gun, they see it and they're like, oh, I'm scared. Well, here's the- and then fire the gun. I don't want to kill. And then what if they get the gun from me? 
I feel comfortable. Hey, 22, I know what's going on. I'm just going to well, run away. I learned this trick from my, uh, a roommate many years ago, and uh, he had different rifles and shotguns and stuff. He said, look, look, Carl, you really only need this shotgun, and you don't even need ammo. He said, if you feel like somebody's breaking in, just do the He said, most time, they're not going to come in. Yeah. <laughs> he said, that's all you need. Just have yeah. that and just, you know, yeah. pump it right before they try to break in. Guarantee they'll probably leave. So You hear that? That's you, gun you, safety right you there. You hear that, motherfucker? Exactly. That's a fucking hot lead. That's fucking 12 grade. I don't know what you say. Also, also, in my, like, endeavors of, like, trying to learn new stuff, the older I get, I do know myself well enough to be like, well, if I did get spend a lot of money on this on this uh, handgun, I'll probably go shoot it, like, two or three times, and then I'll get discouraged, and I'll set it with all the other great ideas I had, like a tennis racket and uh, a box of cigars, you know, <laughs> you want to learn how to smoke cigars, uh, you know, fishing equipment. <laughs> Just, I like to imagine you have, like, a big, like, gun safe that you, yeah. oh, you're like, all right, I'm done with the gun, you open it, and it's already got the fishing pole in it, and oh, yeah. it's got, like, you've been keeping, all, like, a tennis racket and sit in a gun safe, and you're like, all right, well, now I'm done with this. I'm done with it's this, like, too. Yeah, you're, yeah. like, constantly already have the gun Yeah, this safe. is, like, some sort of weird uh, uh, time capsule of... Yeah. Lost, <laughs> lost excursion. Is a gun safe? No, I, uh, I mean, I don't maintain my car the way I should. So no way am I going to maintain a gun the way I probably should. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. And I'm not going to fire it enough. I live in the city limits. You know what am I going to do with a gun all the time? Also, when I was taking that class, I did take the gun safety class, like the handgun carry, because I was getting into it. I was like, well, I'm take the class, learn everything. Then I realized pretty soon, I was like, oh wait, most of the time if I'm out in public. I'm probably going to, there's going to be some sort of alcoholic beverage involved. Yes. It's like, why would I have a gun? Right. That's the worst time to have a gun. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not going to do that. And even, I, even yeah. with the mischance that I for, like happened to just go out, it just make, made me way too paranoid to think that I was carrying a gun with me at all times. Yeah. And I may or may not travel with CBD on me at times, <laughs> you know, and I know that to have CBD with you when you have a firearm could be a criminal, a major criminal offense. <sighs> so, uh, that's another thing I have to take into consideration. And I also have to take into consider- consideration that I'm thinking most people aren't, aren't going to try to rob me because look, no. I look broke. I'm probably broke. I don't think I if look anything, like a guy to rob If anything, rob they'll rob you and they'll give me your money because they feel bad for me. I look out pretty well though like when I'm at places like not look if there's people around. Like I'm looking over my shoulder a lot. But I'm also like I go to comedy nightclubs and bars and stuff like that. Like the whole point of having the gun is having it on you. Can't have it there. You know? No. And you're not supposed to leave it in your car. Like at night in areas like where bars are, people break into your car and they'll steal your gun. And that's where like – right now that's huge, especially in Nashville. They're like, please don't leave your guns in your vehicles because people are breaking into – that's how these kids and a bunch of people are getting guns. You're supposed to not – you're supposed to be a good Christian American that doesn't go to bars or into schools or whatever. And so you can carry your gun. When know. did this become the the gun podcast? I love this. We're gun like, podcast. I mean, we got into it. I don't. I don't also, think, we, neither one of us probably know anything about. guns. I don't even think me and Hickok talked about guns when we like that. Yeah, podcast. Like comedy. It's all about comedy. You're, you're like, yeah, I got this comedy club guy who works it. I'm like, yeah, guns, guns, guns. I, I get in here. We're half of it. So we're just like, let's take calls here. Let's yeah. Like, if you tell me we're these. 45 minutes into the podcast, I'm like, Jesus Christ, is that? Did that happen like that? I just kind of blacked out. And that was the gun. Just had a couple funny gun stories to get into. And that's about it. They didn't plan on any of that. Talk about our granddads, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's how conversations work, I guess. Yeah, We've never even talked about guns. Where did that, where did that come from? I don't know. Something about your uh, something about your sheriff 
CR1. Something from CR1. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he really, and at the end of the day, he didn't really need a gun. He was just all intimidation, man. Yeah. Like he was just one of those. Yeah. Just his his dad called him uh, Alec, which was short for smart Alec. Oh, yeah. And he was like that his whole life, you know. Dude, I got smart Here's this funny story. My dad told me, he said that, uh, uh, my grandpa was like full full sheriff in the seventies, you know, and uh, his dad, uh, he always called him Doc. I never met the man. My great grandfather was like a shorter man, real skinny, you know, and he's kind of like roasting uh, Carl about being the sheriff and all this stuff. He's like, "What are you gonna do, Alex? Like, what if I had some brass knuckles on me?" <laughs> he's like, "Well, I'm gonna take you down." Like, blah blah blah. He's like, "Not if you can't find him." He's like, "I'll find him." <laughs> and then uh, my my great grandfather walks out of the room. And he comes back in with his, I guess he's wearing like a uh, a derby or whatever, but it's like way high on his head. And he's, he's, walking, he's, he's walking all on, all balanced and straight. He's like, all right, Alec, where's where's the brass knuckles? <laughs> under the fucking hat on your head. You weren't wearing a second ago, idiot. But he's just getting under, you know, yeah. my grandpa's skin. Yeah. yeah, That's his father? Yeah, just messing with him. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's going to rest his own dad. Uh, yeah, he would. For for brass knuckles, is that illegal? I don't know. Probably it's back in the seventies. I, I don't know. weren't the <laughs> Seems like they were, brass knuckles were invented in the seventies. Huh? Dude, my roommate has brass knuckles. He used them on a guy one time. He was a guy was getting the same, jumped. The same guy with the gun safe has some brass knuckles. That makes sense. Yeah, though. yeah. Okay. He, yeah, this was before gun ownership, though. I think this was before he had guns. I've known this guy for a while. Okay. And he, uh, well, he just had them on him. I don't know why, but he was walking around and he and he. Saw a guy getting jumped by another guy, and he ran up and just hit the the guy beating the shit of the other guy with the brass knuckles, and then he ran. He got out of there. Now I wonder. Uh, I always wonder this: if you hit somebody with brass knuckles, does that hurt your hand too? I think he did kind of like an overhand smash situation, you know. So mm-hmm. I bet it would hurt punching people. That's bad mechanics. Like you're gonna hurt your hand. They they tell you if you're gonna punch people without gloves on, you're supposed to hit them with like the open palm of your hand. Mm. So I can't imagine with that. Right. Brass knuckle around your, I bet it would destroy your hands. I would think Probably so. Probably be horrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bad idea. You wouldn't go around punching people anyway. Bad. If I saw a guy get jumped, I wouldn't be like, yeah, let me conveniently pull out this weapon I have to assault this other guy too. I was like, why were you? I had a lot of questions that didn't get fulfilled with answers. But I like this guns and violence with David Chastain. Yeah, dude. You know? Stuff I really have nothing to do with. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just stuff that's on my mind right now. <laughs> it's what we get from podcasting so yeah, late. You know? Yeah, what is it? Like fucking ten ten thirty or whatever. <laughs> I'll say it's real late. I love your home though. It's a great place. Well, thank you, buddy. You got a great table here. And... I'm settling in. You know. Yeah, you've been here for a while. No, about a month. Okay, cool. A little over a month, and so I'm still nesting. Him. I was. Uh, I got rid of so much stuff over the years that now I'm just starting to reget things. You know. I was like, yeah. all right, let me. Get something halfway decent. Yeah, I have like know. almost no belongings. I'm right there. I have like you got a nice lamp. I'm looking at this lamp yeah. over here. Yeah, unbelievable. Right. And uh, flowers. You got paint. You got pictures. You know. You got fruit. You got apples and bananas and stuff. I mean, <laughs> things this are is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Things are getting yam, domesticated. I see a yam over here yeah. next to some box wine. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Cassette player. Is this a cassette player? A cassette on player. Your, yeah. My, my I mean, what a kitchen you got going on in here. <laughs> this is crazy. I thought about making it like the metal kitchen, you know, because I got all these. Band metal kitchen? Yeah, dude, I got my Pantera thing It's not here. very metal. I, I will know. tell you that. Wow. It's okay. like a... I mean, CR1 would be proud, I think. I think he would love this kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, where's your gun safe? Alex into it. He's like, where's the guns? Where's the knuckles? Let's get... <laughs> where's the cases of 
tobacco. Is he still living? Is this man? No, no, no not for not R. for R. a P. while. God somebody, bless. somebody that uh, angry. It's not gonna live forever. I don't think. You know. Yeah, I don't think how it matters how angry you are. You're not gonna live forever anyway. Well, Don Rickles lived for a long time. Although I hear he was very nice. He's gone now too. No, actually, my my grandpa was very nice to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, anger is it's kind of part of life, you know. Let's get into anger. Let's talk about violence. Let's talk about guns. <laughs> Let's get into the value of anger. No, I mean, I, we we do comedy and stuff, you know. So we kind of have a little more, I think, comfortable life than maybe some of our ancestors. You know, right? Like just what we choose to do. Since like, we didn't grow up in the depression. Yeah, know? we're trying to make maybe a living out of talking into this microphone. Like literally right now, making content. This is a thing that this is like a part of like a work thing. <laughs> so like for other guys, like cattle hands or like linemen or or you know farmers or whatever, yeah. it's like those guys had to probably be angry at times to get through the the how negative life could be yeah, they and like invented, having kids and shit and no money and going through depressions and you know, having they, to feed people they invented daylight savings time so people could work more you yeah know? and we're like, all we gotta like change the time for and, the sun and we're all like what can i go out? i don't want to go out now it's, yeah. it's like this fucking daylight we literally hate the daylight savings we're like get yeah. rid of this shit yeah that's how little we need it anymore and we're like it's fucking up our sleep yeah, <laughs> like please that's, like, that's our biggest thing. <laughs> Whatever it took to get that institution to like said inside of like thirty years and maybe doing, we're like fuck this. <laughs> we're like let's go back to we're sleeping in. I was reading some article and I was just skimming through, it, but it, it seems like a lot of states are on board to uh, get rid of daylight savings time, which is What's cool. The one? Do they want to live imagine? in the? No, go ahead. Can I'm you sorry. imagine like? If if only some states get rid of it, how jacked up that would be. Well, for I think there's two states that don't have it. I think Arizona and Indiana don't do it. Something like that, isn't it? I know Indiana Hawaii, doesn't do it. Maybe Hawaii doesn't do it, but I think Arizona and Indiana don't. Indiana, really? Yeah, Indiana's the one I'm pretty sure does not. So when we know. fall back, they still stay the same time. So I don't know. Does it go like? Do they end up lining up with somebody next to them? Or is it like they go two hours? Imagine living on the state border. <laughs> and you drive in and the daylight savings and the times like imagine what a fucking nightmare that is your car clock like yeah. the clock at your like phone if you, if you, if you, if you go to work this. if you have to work there and like it changes an hour you have to like get up an hour early every day to get to work yeah I'm not about that I mean let's not fuck with time too much also, it's I already man made I, I don't know which one are we on is this the real time or is spring the real time it's like inception it's like two this, those people that live in that area, if you could graph it, suicide in through the roof. <laughs> those people, they're like, I can't deal with this. There's a place in uh, – I read about this. I don't know if they told me about it in school or what, but it's like in Sweden somewhere. And it's for like 70 days. I want to say 69 days because it's funnier. But I think right. for 70, not, 70 days of the year, the sun does not go down. It just goes from like noon position and it kind of goes down to the horizon and just comes back up. And you see the sun will just snake through the sky up and down like that. All it just keeps going up and down without going all the way down. So they have 70 whole days of daylight. And even the days before and after, a lot of daylight, not much darkness. It's like Alaska. But, But yeah, this one, it's like, I think it's like. Maybe it's the sun's like that in Alaska too, but this one is like it's just it gets right down to the horizon and then it just right back up. And they have to. Uh, 
I think that some places they stopped using the common measurements of time. I was writing a joke about this a long time ago, and I forget the details of it. I'd have to look it up. But, like, they, they were messing around with, like, getting rid of the normal 24-hour day and the normal measurements of the conventions of time because it the stress of trying to adhere to the 24-hour clock would was driving people fucking crazy. Their suicides would go way up. So they, wow. they found that, like, by redevising the measurement of time itself, it made people happier and took stress off them because they weren't like trying to keep up with yeah something that didn't make sense like you're trying to apply this mathematical system to a 70-day period of your life where it doesn't work also having that much sun i, I just imagine everybody would look like hulk hogan yeah yeah <laughs> just tan as fuck all the time could you imagine that though just the sun never going down for all that time i would fucking move why would anyone live there that's a de- that's like the devil that's like before we knew about science what if that's like a death for the place? You wouldn't go there. You're like, it's cursed. Would you rather have all day or all night? All night. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm. Yeah, because I don't really care about the sun that much. Yeah. Anyway. Well, me living in a basement, I don't have any windows, so I don't know what time it is. Yeah, I don't. Honestly, I, uh, I'm not, I don't get out and do much in the day. A night, I'm, I'm not like a nightclub comic. That's not like my work level right now, but that's what I want to be. You know, that's what I, when comedy happens is late at night, so... Or just like when the sun's down. So I'm cool with that. Yeah, I don't want day. Imagine having to do comedy shows and have a career in comedy and the sun never goes down. Oh, yeah, that's what they say is like comedy can't exist in the daytime. It's just harder. <laughs> it's just not as good. You're not ready for it, you know? Mm. Maybe if we abandon the measurements of time. time. <laughs> I mean, how crazy is I wish I could remember more of that story because it's like super interesting, like what they were doing in schools and like what they were doing for jobs. And it's just like. What a, what a kooky idea to just like, yo, we, we, they've lived in that place for forever. So it's like, they got time there. Like time came to them. The concept of time came from somewhere else. <laughs> it came to this place where it's like all fucked up and they accepted it for so long. And they were like, no more, <laughs> no more of this. We're finished. The people revolt. Yeah, dude, we're hitting all the hard subjects tonight. Time and guns and. You know, yeah. How much time do we have left before we have to give back our guns? That's what I want to know. All right. That's what I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you vote for? No, I don't know. All right. Well, now let's talk drums. Uh, how long have yeah. you been playing drums, buddy? I started playing drums in the fourth grade. Did you? Wow. Yeah. That's early for where you. That's before band, like yeah. school bands and stuff. My uh, mom had a boyfriend uh, that played drums, and he worked at Walmart in the pharmacy, and. Uh, I wanted a drum set, so he uses Walmart discount. My mom used his Walmart discount to buy me a drum set from Walmart for oh, my like one of the first act stuff. Yeah, first act drum set. It was for my uh, whatever birthdays in fourth grade, like eleven or or uh, like nine. nine. Yeah. yeah, probably nine. Yeah. So uh, I remember I got the drum set, set it up in the fucking kitchen, and he taught me uh, taught me how to play the just the basic hi hat beat. And um, I was always did music though. Like I did like chorus in school, like elementary school. Yeah, but for, I was like listening to records. Like that was one thing. Like I lived out in the country, like way out, and my parents had a ton of CDs, like yeah. a lot of CDs and records and stuff. So that's like I take up a lot of time before internet, you know. And even when internet was out, my family we didn't have internet a lot, so I would like just listen to CDs. So I was like all about like trying to get involved in music. So like whatever I could do, like I was in chorus. I would never do chorus now. It's like seems weird to me, but that was like my first <laughs> avenue in. And then like I wanted the drum set. They bought me the drum set, and then I did like. Middle school, I did percussion and uh, drumline in high school. Did the band and stuff. stuff. Yeah. And honestly, didn't stick with the drum set that much, like, through my life. Mm-hmm. But that was, like, the first 
that's what like got me into playing music. And then from that, you started playing like guitar and stuff. Right? Yeah, I started playing guitar in the last like year and a half or two years. Okay. Yeah, I, I got the flu in like 2018, and I got an acoustic guitar while I had the flu to kind of pass the time. <laughs> so I started uh, like learning. I had picked up a guitar. I'd messed around on guitars before, but I could really not play. Right. So I just like kind of banged out all the frustrating fundamentals of not being able to play. I didn't have anything else to do. So after that 10 day period, I was kind of like, okay, I could play like GCD yeah. and not be like plunking around like horrible. You know? Right. And uh, yeah, with that, you could play hundreds of songs. A lot of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I got to be kind of enjoyable. And that's what was guitar has been the most enjoyable form of like playing music for me yeah in my life so far yeah like drums are cool drums i had like a lot of social stuff and like friends whereas that's honestly was the i kind of found this out about myself like i would do whatever i could do to get out of class <laughs> i would do that yeah, and band sense. became maybe at first it was a music thing that i really liked i wanted to play music and be around music and learn how to do what i would listen to on records or even anything close to it but what really I liked was that it got you out of class a lot. Oh, yeah, that's the <laughs> and, best. Uh, yeah. You would go to hotels and, like, yes. they would, you know, stuff like that. Get, go on the bus and take trips. You you'd get you out of the house on the weekend. Stuff like that. Anything that would get me out of the house or get me out of class, I was all into it. And band turned out to conveniently be an activity that got was kept me very busy and, and got me out of that's a very stuff. That's a very true statement and true perspective because yeah. I know for sure that was uh, mine and my friends, like, main thing you know what i mean was like going out of town and like yeah. going getting a hotel room you know what i mean cool. that, away from your folks you know it's just like they had to give you the money that you got into it and they were like oh we got to give them money for food we got to give them and then you make friends with everybody that you're yeah like the drum line was maybe everybody in all the sections of the band they weren't all my i was friends with some people but the whole band wasn't like my kind of people but mm. somehow the people that elected to play drums like or percussion most of them i they were like my kind of people okay like people that i would have that was really glad to be friends. With, no, you, you know, know who my people were were. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I had my my drum drummers, but uh, trumpet players. Yeah. Because like, if you think about like the how the band set up in sections like classical style, the drums are right behind the trumpet section. Yeah. And I just would clown around with you know trumpeters and actually two of my best friends from high school were actually or were still great friends, but trumpet players, you know. Yeah. My first wife was a trumpet player, so really? I don't know. I don't know what's my deal is with trumpet players. I wonder what my first wife's gonna be. Oh, she's probably a, <laughs> a gun nut. Yeah, she's gonna love firearms, and, but not want too much freedom. You know, that's no, I'm just uh, no, dude. I what was funny about it, at least in my school, my community, like being in the drum line and being in that group of people, kind of set me up good for being a comic. You know, because mm-hmm. that group of people like would roast you. They weren't always kind to you. Yeah. You stand in the back of the room during what you do. You know, you're like the, they're kind of like the darker group of people. At least <laughs> at my school, they were like, that's how it was. Like they would, that was like the, if you could take your marching band and make it like a small scale of like the world community, yeah. it's like the drumline people were like the comedians. That's that was, like what their attitude was like. That was know? the class that was two years uh, ahead of me. So I got to play with them when, uh, my first year of high school band and they were all seniors and that was the funnest time I had like being part of drumline and all that stuff because all those guys were clowns yeah, and like you get us all together man we were just cracking we would do whatever we could to just like try to get the other guy in trouble like if somebody was sitting by uh, standing by the gong waiting <laughs> to play it all of a sudden somebody would just throw a mallet all the way across the room oh and God. hit that mo, and, and the band director would get on to the person standing by 
See, we were like a really serious band program. Like yeah. we were like really in, in our state, we were like at the top every year. Like mm-hmm. it, we were in the biggest division of schools, like 5A, and then we were right at the top, like top three every year nice. pretty much. So like they made us rehearse pretty tough. They hated, they like tried really hard to keep us in line and we wanted to be good. So we did work hard. Oh, yeah, and, like, for sure. But it's just like kids want to joke. Dude, we wanted to cut up and joke around stuff that and they would give you such a hard time for that shit. Like they would, the, the directors would like roast you to like shame you out of like trying to be funny like they would almost counteract with their own level of like (laughs) fucking you like it's like they're they're very like my my band director Mr. Barton he was great a great guy Mm -hmm. it taught me a lot about working hard and without him in my life I probably wouldn't be the same person for sure you know and for him to build the program in my school he's a great guy but he always would do this thing if you were cutting up and making people laugh he would like stop rehearsal and then he would be like he would go into this whole speech. He'd go, uh, you know, we have – at this school, we've had pro athletes, been in the NBA and the NFL and the MLB. And we've had people go on to go to Juilliard for music and dance and doctors from Harvard and lawyers from Yale and all this stuff. Had pretty much everybody anything. You know, one thing we never had is a comedian. Never had a stand, <laughs> Never had a comedian. We're just not that funny here. I don't know what it is here. We're just not that funny. No one's ever done it. You think all this, I've been to school for 27 years. You think somebody would have done it by now, you know, <laughs> but we're not, we're just not that funny. And he, but it was like way more brutal than that. Yeah. But that was like his speech. Anytime you were like, if you were cutting up and kind of getting a good laugh in class, he would like cut you down with this comedian, you're not yeah. funny speech. Yeah. And it always made me want to be a comedian. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> just to spite out of spite. I was like, fuck you, dude. I was like, I was like, I was just making people laugh and I liked comedy all the time. But like, that was honestly in a weird way. That's what pushed me to want to do comedy. Cause I never really heard about being a comic. So he challenged you without him knowing he challenged. You. Yeah. Because I never would have thought it still was hard for me. Even until I finally went to open mics and learned about open mics. I didn't know how you would be a comic. Mm-hmm. So it was hard to even imagine that I would do it like any way because I didn't know how you would start like how how do you get a job being an actor that's how a, do you get a job doing comedy I don't even know it's, so a wild, even, it's not accessible that, that's become such a uh, uh, another thread in this podcast like a, a lot of us me included always dreamed of doing it but didn't know how to do it I didn't know it was as, as easy as going to an open mic yeah <laughs> I didn't know that was it I, I thought you had to know somebody you know and it was like a secret society kind of thing I didn't even think about it that's how like unaccessible well I grew up in you're from Arkansas. I don't know what your story is, like how much you moved around. But I was born in Richmond, Kentucky. I, I lived there for my whole life and didn't move. I moved anywhere. Uh, from my hometown to 10 miles down the road, which was my uh, main hometown in okay. fourth grade. Moved to four cities. So okay, four that, cities. That, that, that was my go. whole moving. And then I went to uh, Arkansas State, which was 40 miles away. Okay. So it was all in that very cool. – this was the big move for me. Yeah. Well, and also like I, I never flew on a plane until – Somebody told me that the, the other day. day. Yeah. yeah, until uh, I went to Irvine and went to L.A. to do comedy. One of the comics told me that. Yeah, I never – tr- so I like never – I've been on one vacation in my life. You know, so like I've never been anywhere, never done anything. So t- how you would be – I loved movies. I loved stuff like it, but it was like I didn't understand – it wasn't even accessible, so I never considered it as a possibility. Yeah, it's just, it's, never even it's tried it. How would I ever do it? Didn't even think about starting to try to do it. Mm. I just loved comedy. So, like, from podcasts, I ended up learning about open mics and, like, there's a comedy club in your town and go to was that open here? mic. And, well, I, I lived here. I moved from my hometown 
I moved here to do audio engineering. I kind of found that that's what I liked about music. I tried to, after high school, I didn't go to college. I tried to start to get, I was trying to get people to play music with me to try to fit, because I knew I was interested in it at least. And nobody really would. So I started, I was like, well, you can do hip hop by yourself. So honestly, I was trying to get into like hip hop production and maybe even being a rapper. I didn't know. Like, I was just like, I can do that with nobody, you know? So I saved up, I bought a computer and I started getting around in like Ableton. And I found that I really enjoyed working in the, in Ableton. Mm. And I was like, oh, I should learn how to record music. Cause I was like, this rap thing is like bullshit anyway. I'm like a fucking white guy with glasses. I was like, it's not going to work. And I, I never would work. And I think I'm actually, I was really passionate about learning about Ableton and like audio engineering. I got yeah. books or reading about it. And, um, that's a really long story how I found my way to my school that I found here. But I, um, I ended up just moving to Murfreesboro and going to school in Franklin for audio engineering okay. in, in Tennessee. And I did that for two and a half years, a, a long time and, and maybe even longer than that. But uh, from the time I was 20 until I was probably 23, I did audio engineering stuff and worked in studios, made a bunch of records. And it just got to be a process. You do things for long enough. You kind of feel like, I, did, I don't want to do this. I don't want to continue to do this. Like the grind of like, I, my dream in music recording was to like win a Grammy and like be a producer and, and work with it. But it was so hard to like find clients that are really great to work with you, to convince. I'm not a business guy. I'm not good at selling people on things. I'm just like, it would be great to work with you. I enjoy your music. And I believe that I'll do a good job. But that's about as far as I can go. I can't yeah. like sell you on it. And this town is based on yeah, the business. so many fucking people. And you got to drink, get drinks and shuck and jive. I was just like, it's too much for me. I can't do this. Mm. So I, I I thought it would take so long and so much grinding and, and not making very much money. Long days, 16 hour days, 17 hour days to make like... I did. I worked for six months making records, and I sat down and tracked all my income. I made like three eighty-five an hour for all the money <laughs> I'd made in that six months. I made like seventeen records, but I made three dollars and eighty-five cents an hour for all the time I worked. It's yeah. like not good, you know. So I was supplementing my income with studio recording. With somehow I thought you were gonna say with selling drugs. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but I was doing studio engineering, and I was doing live sound at a bar to make money to keep up with my shit. Right. And that live sound gig at the bar started going not well because the guy that books me, we got into some arguments. Mm -hmm. So he started like fucking me and I was scheduling me and I was getting really angry about being in that position. One day I went to bed really angry and I woke up. You ever have that sleep where you like close your eyes and your eyes open immediately. It felt like you got no rest. That happened. That's what happened. I was angry. I laid down to go to sleep and opened my eyes immediately still pissed off, angry. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'd been hearing about comedy. I was like, I'm going down to the fucking comedy club and I'm getting a job application. And I don't care what I make. I don't care what's going on. I'm going to work there. And I got the application. I turned it in. They called me for an interview when I got home. Like within 15 minutes of turning it in, interviewed the next day. That day when I interviewed that night, I did comedy for the first time. And uh, then I started as Amy's the next day, and that was that's been like over three and a half years ago. So the same day that you got the uh, audio gig at Zany's, you also did your first open mic. Yeah, but I actually didn't get the sound guy job at Zany's at okay. first. I told him I wanted to do it, and I told him I was used to making like twenty plus dollars an hour, and they were like, "We're not going to be able to do that. That's not what we do." And we also have people to do it. And I was like, "Look, to be honest, I just want a job here." I want to know what comedy is about and I want to learn about comedy. Okay, so you start out like serving? At the box office. On the box office. Yeah, okay, selling cool. tickets and answering the phones, which is still a part of my job now. 
if I, you know, I don't really do it, but, uh, it's like technically <laughs> on the pay scale. It's a part of what I'm supposed to do, but, uh, uh, yeah, dude, it was, it was just that for maybe a month and a half. I did that only. And I learned how the club worked. Like I learned how to do what everybody else does. And then I kind of proved my worth on the sound thing. And they always had just different people run sound. They didn't have a sound guy. Okay. So, and then I kind of made that my thing and it just became what I do there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, dude, that's how I like, I was pissed off about music shit. I'd come down here to like accomplish a dream to become like a producer. I kind of like give up on that to start this comedy. Thing. Yeah. How did, uh, how did your people back home take it? Um, when I did the music thing, my mom really liked it. My sister really liked it. My dad was scared. I remember I told him I was at the grocery store right by the lobster tank. You know, (laughs) I told him I wear my fucking butcher whites. You know, I told him I was like, Hey man, I'm going to move to Tennessee. I'm going to go to school, learn how to record music. And I remember he was just, you could tell he was scared. And he was like, how are you going to make money recording music? That's like all he was, he said it like many times. I get that. He was like, how are you going to make money recording music? He didn't understand. He's like me, like how things were so inaccessible in life, like those types of things. That's how, what he believes. So he's like, how would you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Recording music to make money. And I was like, listen, it's what I want to do at that point. Also my, my stepdad that started me with drums, he had just died of a heroin overdose at that time. Yeah. 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 I did not care for the guy that much. So I wasn't all that torn up about it. (laughs) If I'm being honest, I wasn't that mad about it. I hated that fucking guy. He's a scumbag, but, uh, he passed away and it kind of started this whole thing for me. Like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? I'm not going to college. I'm not doing anything. I work at a fucking grocery store and smoke pot and sit on my fucking couch. Yeah. That's all I do. So it kind of jump-started me into, like, figuring something out. So I just told – right after that, I told my dad and my mom, everybody, I'm going to move and learn how to record music. And then I did that pretty well for a couple of years and I was – I showed good progress. Yeah. You know, I graduated, like, at the top of my class and I was getting internships and – I had a job that related to audio. I was able to quit that, go studio full time for almost a year with the bar side hustle, you know. And uh, but then when I t- I didn't tell him I started doing comedy for a long time. This is the point that <laughs> I was trying to make originally. Yeah. How did they take it when you said yeah. you made the switch from music yeah. to comedy? They were used to uh, <laughs> my dad. Kind of gave up. His reaction instead of being scared was kind of like whatever. <laughs> not like a not a cruel whatever. But it kind of like he threw his hands up. I told him on the phone that I was like, I didn't tell people for so long because I was like, I don't know what people are going to think or like, also doing the open mics, you know? So it's like, it's not like I'm really doing, I didn't, it's not like a lot I felt to be proud of. Not to put anybody down that only does open mics, but for me, and I've only just now stopped doing only open mics. It just now happened. But it was like hard for me to be proud of that for some reason. Well, you, it, it's hard for me to be proud of things anyway. It's just, you it's, know? it's difficult thing to sell, especially like family that just wants you to be okay, like financially, uh, emotionally, all these things. And like comedy doesn't really seem like the right avenue for any of that to no, my, play out. But also, like you said, being, you're just starting and you can't just say, Hey, I'm a comic now. I'm a comedian. Uh, my mom likes that stuff. Because she wants me to be that kind of person. Mm. She wanted me to be a rock star or be something with some kind of profile. Yeah. She likes the idea of that. That would make her feel cool. Be a cowboy. Her feel- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, or, she, she just like, that's what she liked. She dated yeah. my stepdad for so long and he was a musician guy, yeah. granted on the lo- local level and stuff, but that's like what she likes, sure. you know? My dad more wanted his kids to just have jobs and live near home and have a happy life sure. and enjoy each other. So like, that's where he, my dad kind of comes from. 
So, but they, they've always been supportive. Like, uh, now they're thrilled for me. Now that they see I, I just did a road work and I'm doing some cool podcasting stuff that's about to come out. Yeah. They're like, now they have something. They're like, okay, cool. That's something I don't, instead of me describing them what an open mic is and what I'm doing, now I'm, t- now they don't know what I'm doing. Like the open mic thing, they can grasp it. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're going to a place where like nobody is at on that night and doing comedy for just the people that are also going to do it. For no money. Yeah. Yeah. For no money. Yeah. And they can understand what that is. But now I'm talking about like getting booked and traveling yeah. and like doing a podcast and video editing, all this. So that stuff that they're like, they don't get. So it's like, I think it makes them happy. They're like proud. I can tell. So hopefully I can keep up work like that, you know. And, uh, are you still doing? Are you still doing sound for Zanes? Yeah, I still do right now. Um, as time goes on, it's something that I'm going to have to phase out of my life, and it's some already. It's like I want to phase it out of my life. Not yeah. to, hopefully none of my employers listen to this podcast, but it's. Uh, Don't worry, nobody's listening to this. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm the kind of guy I I don't know if a lot of people are like this. I don't like having a job for very long. Like, that's why stand-up is cool to me, because it's constantly changing. You're like, yeah. you're like the, uh, you're, you're the open micer, and then you're like a guy, maybe you're getting a little road work, you break into the club, then you're a host, then you're like hosting the weekends, start to feature a little, feature on the road. There's like so many levels of how the job changes for so long. Yeah. Even you get to headliner, you're C-level headliner, you feature for A-list guys, headline B rooms, start to headline A rooms, if you're that lucky, Get into theaters, start making a bunch of like, there's so many levels of how comedy, uh, there's also so many levels of how it can stay the same and you, you can't break out. Maybe exactly. I can't break out of this level. I've been in this level for so long and this is really frustrating this way that all my other and, jobs. And, have been. and, and but, but, but persistence and consistency, I think helps people break those walls. Cause, uh, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it can be real dark to just be stuck on the open mic level yeah. unless you enjoy it. You have to yeah. enjoy it. You know what I mean? If your goals are for other things, I think if anybody's goals, I'm preaching now. If anybody's goals no, is to break it. through, I think I think they'll do it if, if they're consistent and persistent. Yeah. Now, there's some people that will always be at open mic levels, and they're fine with it, and that's okay. Yeah. You no, know? there's nothing wrong with it. No, that. no, not no, at all. If you're okay with it, that's what is right. important. Right. If you're happy. That's what is like – like I'm sure it's like this in anything that anyone does, but comedy has been so important for me. Like, And I continue to – my relationship with it waxes and wanes, like how much I'm enjoying it, how much it it caused me anxiety or like, but it's like about enjoying it. Like you need to enjoy what you're doing, the level that you're at, what you get to do. But I'm like you in, in that regard. Like, and I've been like that for a long time. Uh, you look at somebody like, like Bob Dylan, uh, who was for a long time, like all through the sixties and seventies, just consistently was evolving into something else and yeah. was not, uh, Refused to be like in any mold. Once you thought you could figure him out, he would do a 180 on you. Yeah. And that's always been very inspiring to me as far as like not falling into a trap that people may have, uh, had a preconceived notion that you should be like, Oh, you're just a sound guy or you're just an open micer or you're just a host or you're just a folk singer or just a rock singer. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I don't want to get locked into having being that malleable is, is very uh, inspiring to me. I guess, but, but it, it, comedy at least like a like a normal job is like you show up at the same workplace, punch the same clock, do more or less the same job. Maybe you get a promotion, you're in the same workspace. Maybe you get a promotion, you go to a different location. So, but it's like 
most jobs stay the same. Like there's aspects of it like years and years. I can't imagine how there are guys that do the same job. They go to the same office for years until they retire. And that's, I mean, I can't believe that that yeah. happens. And not that I'm looking down on anybody. No, not at all. But, but for me, it's just like it doesn't work. I'll get a job for two years and then I start getting like restless and I don't want to do it anymore and I want to move on to something else. But stand-up doesn't feel like that to yeah. me because – Different club. You're going to a different city. Going to a different this. And then, granted, I'm still new. I'm not to the two year point of a, a level <laughs> with it yet. You know, but like, uh, but it, it feels it, more sustainable to me just on how I feel about the job. But but going back to your your original point that like, there's so many opportunities that aren't the same. You know what I mean? I've kind of been that way uh, most of my adult life. Where I'll I've had a lot of jobs. You know what I mean? Over the years, because I'll do the same thing. I'll, I'll work somewhere for a few years i feel like i need to do something else yeah i need to learn something else or try something else you know what i mean yeah and i'm the same but i also don't like to go backwards same so i'm kind of in this position where i'm like getting better doing more like my work is more focused towards my goals and i don't want to backstep from that so like i've got to where i'm like running sound at a comedy club for a certain amount of time that doesn't mean i'm doing comedy but like I'm in a comedy club to make my income and I can sit and watch shows and meet comics and see how the club works. Now, if I want to leave that job, I want to replace it. I don't want to go back and cut meat at a grocery store, mm-hmm. you know, to that's not the change up I'm looking for or like some other thing like go bartend. Like I don't want to do that. Like I would want to do something that takes me more in a direction of like mm-hmm. continuing to learn, focusing on a certain thing, adding something on repertoire that I don't have. And that becomes increasingly difficult when you're like, you're like you're like hopping off lily pads behind you, and you're like, I only want some of these other ones, but I'm not going to stay in the same place. Like, it's kind of hard to make it line up. Right? You say you cutting know? meat at a grocery store. That's what I used to do. That's used exactly. To, I was a butcher. That's what my store. dad uh, did for forty something years. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. He I almost nailed, did that for my whole life. You nailed Carl Jr. right there. Oh wow! And like he retired for Carl like Jr. for like a month, and then they just started getting other like pickup jobs because he can't stop working. Yeah, but that's my dad. You know, he loves being a butcher. Cutting meat is great. If I could have got – my store was jerking me around. They wouldn't certify me to get the pay. That's what was going on. Oh, I was yeah. working for six months as a butcher on the apprenticeship pay. That sounds about right. And they had me closing the department all the time. I would break down the room, clean the room, and I would do it all the nights. So I would cut a bunch of stuff. And then they had me finally, after six months of doing all that, they had me take the test, which – to cut, you have to come in. You cut the whole f- full service meat case, like the stuff that's behind the glass. Yeah, and you do all the grind. You do all the fish stuff, and then you fill the cases out in the front. And you have to do all that between like five and nine a.m. It like four hours to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I got it done perfect, like perfect early too, like twenty minutes early. Mm-hmm. And the store director came and he did the inspection. And he looked at everything and they were like, great, great, great. Then he walked out of the department with my manager and gave the review. They came back, didn't pass me. What? Didn't pass me. And I was like, why didn't I get passed? And he was like, he said that he didn't feel like you have a a great sense of urgency. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I did all the work perfect and got it done early. And he was just like, observe my demeanor and that I'm relaxed and I'm I'm just relaxed. I'm not like a stressed out guy and I'm like having fun. And he was like, that's why he didn't want to give me the promotion. So that happened, and I was like, fuck dealing with anybody like that guy. Yeah, as soon as that happened, I was like really spoiled on putting my fate in the hand of any kind of person that gets to decide what I get to do. And I know there's levels of that everywhere, especially in comedy. A booker, a person that just decides to like you. But it's not – it feels different to me than 
the manager of your store that you're with all the time it's just going to say because of who you are, you don't deserve a fucking paycheck right. that you work for. Right, because I was like, fuck people like that. Because always. something that is wide open is, is comedy. It's like, yeah, there's going to always be bookers and there's, a, there's tons of them. There's tons of, yeah. you know, people that will like you and won't like you, you know? Yeah. So, but I, and luckily I'm a guy that people tend to, in a professional situation, I don't make bad connections. I yet late so far. I there's I don't think there's anybody I've met that they're like. Oh, give it I time. I didn't like man. that guy. <laughs> I don't know. I was at the Laugh Factory and I might have asked the booker at the Laugh Factory for a Red Bull on accident. <laughs> I might have done that. I could tell by the way she responded. I didn't ask her to get it for me, but I was like, I didn't know who she was, but I could tell she worked there. And I was like, I was like, hey, do you know how I could go about getting the Red Bull around here? And she was like, uh. You could try asking like one of the servers, and I was like, "Got it, fully received." I'm gonna go fuck myself. <laughs> I'm gonna get like she hardly looked at me, and I could tell by her response, like, "You're I'm not the person you ask for a fucking Red Bull." Well, at least you didn't snipe your fingers and say, uh, "Sweetie, it, uh, uh, honey, <laughs> yeah, 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 fucking dead, dude." I didn't. I'm not. I wasn't even going up in that club. I was just there hanging out with other comics that are my friends. So like, it wasn't like I was. Yeah, I wasn't even like a guy that had the glory of being on the lineup. So definitely not trying to fuck that up. But no, dude, it's uh, comedy sweet. It's my pre- so far. It's what I'm. I'm really into all the parts of it that I'm involved in. You know, yeah, like buddy. podcast production is sweet, and I love it. And doing stand up is starting to be really fun for me. Do you want to talk about your California trip at all? Yeah. Uh, how much time do we got? How long have we been talking? What? How long do you like to do? What do you do on here? Do you, just go, you just cut it loose. You do whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah we yeah. got. Probably, I'm in no hurry. So we like, got about I'm, ten minutes. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The California trip was cool. Like uh, we were talking about earlier, I'd never been on a plane before I went. And uh, I had kind of always, since I got into comedy and I still hadn't been on the plane, I was kind of holding out. I was like, I would love to get on a plane the first time. Like, I'm going to do comedy. Mm. And it ended up working out. Like, I went to a real club. The Irvine Improv is like a real A club in the country, you know? It was like an amazing club. So nice. And uh, we went. I stayed at Brian Callen's Manhattan Beach House. <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's where we stayed on Thursday night. That's why I flew straight there. And, uh, yeah, the plane landed at Brian Callen's house. (laughs) (laughs) Directly. Yeah, it just landed right on the roof. But, uh, dude, it was funny. They, Steve Byrne, the guy that I'm touring with, he set me up. He's friends with Brian, and that's why we're staying there. And he was like, here's Brian Callen's girlfriend's number because Brian's kind of hard to pin down or whatever. So when you land, just get in touch with her and, and, you know, she'll get you taken care of. Mm -hmm. Like, you you just call an Uber and get yourself there, and she'll make sure she lets you in. Because it was early, super early flight. And I, so I get there, I text her. She doesn't respond for like 30 minutes. I'm like waiting on an Uber before I call. So I called her, phone went straight to voicemail. I was like, fuck. So I text Steve. Luckily he hadn't taken off on yeah. his flight yet. He could still take, and he was like, here's Callan's number. I text him. I was like, Hey, I'm David opening for Steve this weekend. He said I could get an Uber to your place. I have the address. Is that all cool? And he was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I was like, what the fuck am I getting into? And they ended up being, they're super nice, super nice people. But they claimed that they had no idea I was coming, that nobody told them anything. And I was like, I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm not paying attention. I don't know. Just good old ribbing. Yeah, hopefully. but I, but I hung, yeah, dude, I went, I don't know if you've ever been to Manhattan Beach, but it's fucking not the homeless filled California you hear about, dude. It's mm. the fucking, it was paradise. The weather was so nice, right by the ocean. They had electric scooters at his house. I was riding around on the fucking <laughs> by the beach. I rode into the fucking weed store and got weed. It was sick. And then I just uh did the show. We went around, we went to the comedy store and I went around to all the where the comics hang out in the green rooms and all that oh, shit. Wow. And I got to watch Marin and uh do two different sets. I saw him in the main room, saw him in the original room. Nice dude. 
uh, went to the Laugh Factory, went to the Hollywood Improv, you know, just walked around all those places, you know, all the staff areas, wow. all the comic areas. How so surreal was, is that, you know? Honestly, spending all my life not traveling at all, like going anywhere, like I have no relation to like... One vacation. Yeah, yeah. one vacation to Disney World and SeaWorld and the beach mm-hmm. when I was like in middle school. That's it. But so to be there was kind of like just, it felt regular in the moment. And I found myself, I was standing in the front lobby of the comedy store, like where you first enter, like the main part. And I'm looking at all the headshots and all the, I've seen this place on Instagram and in videos online and heard people talk about it. And it felt regular as fuck. Mm. And I just was telling myself like, this is crazy. Like you are being, you've flown out here. I was, I didn't have to pay for the flight and to pay for the hotels. I got flown out there. I'm standing there. They gave me a free t-shirt. I'm fucking wearing it right now. I'm wearing my fucking comedy store t-shirt right now. They gave me that shirt for free. What? Like it was like, it's like, that's the situation where that day I told you about where I woke up pissed off and gave up on my music dreams. <laughs> like straight up. I was so angry about that guy not booking me and fucking with my money that I was like, I'm done with this shit. And I'm going to do comedy. That person right there would have been like so thrilled. So I was telling myself that. I was like, you should be, this isn't just regular. Yeah. This is a big fucking deal. And I'm a guy that Mr. Cool, you know, it was fun. I was, I I honestly was everything, but I wasn't playing it like that. It just was, everything felt so regular. Like Steve was asking me, he was like, oh, you want to get, I'll take a picture of you at the comedy store. And I was like, no, it's cool. (laughs) And he was like, no, it's not cool. He would like kind of sat me down and we were having dinner and he was like, hey man, we're going to go – like he took me back. To, he asked me if I wanted a picture at the Laugh Factory and I said no. And while we were having dinner after the Laugh Factory, he was like, dude, you have to get pictures of yourself at these places. Like you're going. Yeah. You need to remember this. All this stuff. Like my family didn't keep pictures of us. Like I don't have pictures of me. And I was excited. I don't really think about shit like that. Already I know he was right. But he drove us back to the Laugh Factory to get a picture oh, with wow. me. Yeah, he like dro- – and we didn't even do spots at the Hollywood Improv. He just drove me there to look at it and take pictures and, yeah. and to meet the staff and go around. So, I mean the guy is so kind, you know, and like was looking out for me in that way of like I'm going to fucking take pictures of you. I was like, well, my phone's broken. The camera on my phone. He was like, I'm going to take them on my phone. <laughs> it was like, I was like, I can't even take the pictures if I want my phone if I want to. He's like, Jesus, but Dave. He's like, Jesus, who the, who the hell did I hire? A fucking video guy got no cameras on his phone. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, dude, it was so cool. And the spots were great. The, the Irvine shows, we did two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. There's a guy that hosted him, Gary Cannon, and he did – uh, crowd warm up for Conan and wrote on Conan for a long time. And everybody knows that guy. That's everybody I, in comedy that like makes money doing comedy that I've talked. They know who Gary Cannon is. And Billy Gardell came. That's on Mike and Molly, and he sat with me in the green room for probably forty five minutes while Steve was headlining and selling merch. And we talked about comedy and gave me a lot of sage advice about performing and just about persevering and how to feel about what's going on. And yeah. that was what the best part of the whole trip was talking to Billy Gardell because he's like a millionaire. Like a millionaire, millionaire. Like he owns classic cars and drives a fucking Escalade, house in Studio City, beach house, like owns it too. Nice as fuck. And he was making me, not to say that other comics don't make me feel equal, but he made me feel like we were the same. And uh, it's not that other people don't make me feel that way, but he was, for some reason, he made me, he was like interested in what I was saying. Just put your I was able to open up. Yeah, he put me at ease and I was commun- I was being really open with him and honest and he was giving me great advice and it was like a wonderful conversation. Like one of the best moments of in comedy I've had so far was talking to him and just the two of us in the screen room. It was awesome. Nice. He, I mean, he just gave, he gave me so much information about comedy. It's stuff I will remember in situations later in my life. Like stuff I couldn't even, I couldn't tell you at all here, but I'll come into some situation. I'll go, 
you know, he told me one thing about people being jaded, like mm-hmm. persevering, people being jaded. He said, if people are ever behaving in a way or acting some way where they're like angry or upset about comedy, he said, you should look at them and go, thank you for being that way so that I don't have to be. Yeah. So I can see it and I can go. Cause sometimes you encounter those people and it, they're, they're trying to like clash into your world and make you feel like they feel <laughs> or kind of tear apart your, or just make you feel how they feel yeah. or something. Or just that's the energy of it. Like when jaded and people get, I get, everybody get jaded at times, but it's just like when it becomes overwhelming or like takes over your, who you are in your interactions with the people. It's like, look at those people and go, thank you for being like that. I don't have to be like that. I can yeah. just observe it in you and just fucking keep going and be happy and enjoy stand up. But yeah, it made me feel like it's attainable to be a pro at this and that I can, uh, maybe I'm suited for it, which is hard to say out loud or admit even to myself, but it's like, it made me feel like I can do it. But know? again, you said maybe, you know what I mean? And yeah. You're not, you're not being cocky at all. I didn't I'm get like, some I'm guarantee. Yeah, I'm going to exactly. fucking do this now. But right, it, right. it made me feel just like it's what I'm, I enjoyed it so yeah. much. The flight was fine. I enjoyed the, the having the whole day free at the hotel and to walk around the mall. I saw a movie. Spots are late at night. <laughs> what was really cool about it was like I was really freed my whole day that I didn't have anything to do before the shows. I didn't have anything to do. So I was just cured of like the uh, my normal day anxiety of like what am I supposed to be doing? What should I be doing? How should I be? I was like I'm here to do shows. I got the whole day to hang out. Yeah. I was like very calm and relaxed in that situation. And the mall. I love the mall. I found that's my thing. Oh, hanging when, out the mall? At least for now, at first on the road, if I keep doing the road, I'm going to find the mall on Saturday and go to the mall and just hang out there. Yeah. See a movie, walk around, look at the stores, get lunch at the mall. And it made me, it was amazing. Yeah, man. It was mall sweet. Rat. I love the mall. I'm such a trash, garbage human being. But yeah, dude, it was sweet. I love, I enjoy the experience so much. I look forward to getting to do it in the future and hopefully as a part of my goddamn career. Well, speaking of that, do you want to talk about uh, upcoming shows you got? Yeah, upcoming shows this month. I'm, uh, when does this come out? Does this come out this week? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so November 6th, the Saturday, I'm at Joker's Abbey at Smoker's Abbey. Uh, that's November 6th at 10 p.m. I am on that show too, but. Oh, you're on that show? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Oh, that's great. I'm on, it's, that's so cool about getting on more of these local shows. I'm like, oh, I'm on shows with my friends, like people that, yeah. I'm on two shows with Corey Knox this month. So I'm on, uh, let me just pull it up so I get, oh, you know, there we right. go. I, I was going to try to see pull if I can your remember. scroll, dude. That's how many I have now. I mean, I don't have a ton, but like it's, I make my thing for the month now and I'm like so thrilled when I make it because I'm like, I'm on shows. Yeah, when you look at it, you yeah, look I'm like, I'm doing, I'm doing five shows on the road, like in, in California. And then I'm doing like six shows locally. Like it's sweet. It's good, buddy. So I'm doing the Smokers Abbey, November 6th, Crazy Gnome Comedy Show, November 9th. Mm-hmm. I'm doing Arnold's After Dark on November 11th. That's at Arnold's Country Kitchen. I'm doing Zany's Nashville, November 14th. I'm hosting that show. That's Steve Burns' crowd work show. Cool, buddy. I'm doing Hey, It's a Comedy Show, Will Labels. I'm hosting that at Love and Exile on November 17th. And then November 19th through the 21st, I'm at the Berea Improv in Berea, California. It's going to be a great month. Who with? That's with Steve Byrne, too, baby. Cool, buddy. All that cool stuff's with Steve Byrne so far. So we'll, we'll hopefully it turns into other. Not that I don't like working with Steve Byrne. But I would love to work with other comics on multiple weekends in the month, too. That'd be sweet. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Dude, uh, David, where can people find you online? On social media, you can get me on Twitter, at David Chastine. That's S-T-E-E-N. Two E's in Chastine. And then uh, on Instagram, at David Chastine underscore. You could find all my stuff on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, tell them about your uh, gun blog. My gun blog, yeah, it's uh, www.com. Uh, 
don'ttakemyrights.org. <laughs> and uh, this is where we just talk about maybe we'll have a gun, maybe we won't, but we're concerned with not having too much freedom, but just enough. Just enough. You know? Don't give me too much. <laughs> That's, that's the, www.don'tgivemetoomuch.org. <laughs> that's my... <laughs> All right. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. And there it was, guys. Another episode in the bag, man. Appreciate David for hanging out with me. I appreciate you for hanging out with the Badum Ching, with Carl. Now on all the things. If you're listening, you know how to find it. I'm not going to repeat myself anymore. Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio, all the things. Please uh, click and subscribe. I love you all. Send me a review. Uh, send me some money. Venmo at CR3 Comedy. I appreciate that. I'll take uh, ones and fives and tens. I'll take a two. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever you got. Just give me some money. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Plenty more bangers in the future. So until next time, see you later.